Bible reading once again. Only two verses, two simple verses. Judges chapter 13, verse 24. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtel. Sing with me again, please, if you would stand and turn to hymn number 128 and sing with me. Great God, how infinite art thou. Great God, how infinite are thou, what worthless worms are we. Let all the race of creatures bow and pay their praise to thee. Thy throne eternal ages stood Ere seas or stars were made, Thou art the ever-living God, Were all the nations dead. Eternity with all its years Stands present in thy view. To thee there's nothing old appears, great God, there's nothing new. Our lives through various scenes are drawn and vexed with trifling cares. While thine eternal thought moves on, Thine undisturbed affairs. How great God, how infinite are thou. What worthless worms are we. Let all the race of creatures bow and pay their praise to thee. They can be seated. Let's begin at the beginning. On the last two Lord's Days, as is usually my method, I took the opportunity being as we were between two chapters in our study, and I brought what I call occasional messages. Messages with a gospel emphasis. 
taken from other texts besides here in Judges. In a previous message, I had begun to introduce us to this most interesting of Israel's judges, Samson. However, in that message, if you'll recall, while I did introduce him, I did not linger long on Samson, but I took up what seemed to me the more prominent feature of those final verses in chapter 13. I took up a message on the promises of God. Some time having passed now, two weeks specifically, since that first introduction, I would like to repeat some of the general observations which I made, which I had hoped by doing it would diffuse some of the controversy that has long swirled around this man. And by these general observations, bring our hearts to a sound and more more biblical understanding of this record. And precisely to that end, I want first this morning to review and complete some of these critical points of observation. If I may be allowed to quote myself, I had said specifically in that message that I want to relieve at least some of the lingering tensions surrounding this man's life, this curious man's life. And with these observations, I hope it will circumvent some ancient errors and give a more sound perspective as we proceed in the inspired record of Samson's life. In number one, I gave you first of all the meaning of his Hebrew name. There is some unsolvable controversy even in this. His name, there is no controversy about its meaning. It's a Hebrew word. It simply means little son, S-U-N, little son. We do not know altogether why or how that name was chosen? Did the angel that announced his birth give it to his parents? We do not know. We have no record of it. Could it be that they selected that name, Little Son, to speak to the fact that they hoped in him to see the rising on the horizon of Israel's deliverance, like the sun coming up in the morning? Possibly. Did they mean by it to choose this term 
little son because they saw in him a symbol of warmth and health. They saw in him the sheer mercies of God that winter, the winter of slavery would be passed and the springtime of victory would begin. Possibly. We don't know. Maybe it was both of these. Maybe it was something altogether other than these. We don't know. We just know his name means little son. But then secondly, I told you that because of Samson's checkered career in God's service, some commentators have viewed him most unfavorably. And even one commentator called him, quote, an enigmatic brute in the Old Testament, end quote. But I cannot concur with this harsh and doleful assessment, especially in the light of that divine commendation laid out for him by inspiration in Hebrews 11.32. Thirdly, I said to you, as a general observation, that we quickly admit that his service for God was vastly unworthy of the grandeur of his announced birth. One would anticipate from the record given to us of his birth announcement, one would anticipate a glorious life of holiness. One's mind can hardly be prevented from going yonder to Samuel. And making a comparison or a contrast, if you please. His birth being announced to his mother in much the same divine methods. And then the life that was lived by that man, albeit made of clay. Yet a life of service. And then when we look at Samson, we see a very similar divine method of announcement and sending of him. And yet his service for God is in many ways very unworthy of that grand announcement. But then fourthly, I brought to your attention a very important consideration. That Samson had a supernatural God sent gift. It was a gift of physical capacity that God brought on him in visitations of his Holy Spirit to accomplish his specific calling. But I said to you that that gift 
And that calling had in them very little of the graces of holiness that one would ordinarily expect to accompany such gifts. And again, one can hardly avoid the thought of sin in comparison. After being announced and granted to his mother and father, he was then given to the Lord as was Samson before he was even born. His mother sanctified him in her own body by her keeping of the vows of the Nazarite. And so Samson had this supernatural gift and yet it was not accompanied by the graces of holiness as was Samuel and others. Edersheim had said if the period of the judges reached its highest point in Samson the Nazarite it also sunk to its lowest in Samson the man of carnal lust and unbridled passions all within the same man and there is a lesson to be had here I don't know if I mentioned it before there is a lesson in this general observation that gifted men are not always complete. A man may have a great gift from God in something or other, yet be vastly wanting in common graces. Hmm. But then finally in that message number five, I stress the importance as we study the paradoxical life of this judge, I stress to you the importance of remembering that God, God in Samson, this broken, conflicted soul, God in this man began to work mightily in Israel as verse 25 of chapter 13 tells us. And of this we can have no doubt and must not forget. As we read the life of Samson, we dare not forget that it was in Samson that God has begun to work in Israel. Again, if I may be allowed to quote myself, I had said, whatever may be our thoughts, whatever may be our misgivings with this vessel, Whatever our reservations, disappointments, and disapprovals 
in this man, God had set about in him a work of recovering Israel. This cannot be forgotten. God had set about to recover Israel. And a lesson in this. Look not to the vessel, but to God. We ought always to look not to the vessel, but to God. You remember David. All the conquest of David. And he comes down ready with the materials gathered to build the house of God. The Lord says, no, you'll not build it. Your son will build it. You're a bloody man. Bloody man. Samson is a bloody man. And a man of whom so much of his life we dare not approve. But God had begun a work in Israel as he did with David prior to Saul. But now today, I feel that I must add yet another few broad and generally summarizing thoughts before we sink the exegetical plow Deeply into this man's record. And so I would give you as number six. A notification that this is only a brief history of Samson. And the record is of a very peculiar period. In the annals of redemptive history. I said this is only a brief history, not at all complete, a brief history of Samson, and it is a record of a very peculiar period in the annals of redemptive history. Bush, in his commentator, said it well when he said it this way. No part of the scripture has afforded more occasion for the doubts of skeptics or the scoffs of infidels than the history of Samson. His character is indeed dark and almost inexplicable. By none of the judges of Israel did God work so many miracles and yet None were so many faults committed. It must be recollected, however, says Bush, that this, his history, is very short. And that the peculiarity of the dispensation under which he lived may account for many things which, if done at this time, 
and without special appointment from him from heaven would be highly criminals. Besides, there there may have been in him many exercises of true piety, which, if recorded, would have reflected a different light on his character. Indeed. It's only a short history. It's no way full in its details. And it is a history of a remarkable and peculiar period in redemptive history. If everything, Bush is saying, if everything in his life could be recorded, if the full biography were before us, it may reflect a very different character. May I just say to you, this is an error that is often made by those whose hermeneutic is blatantly faulty and whose studies are spurious at best and downright dishonest at worst. They do not consider the full picture. Context, context, context. Is crucial. You cannot judge an Old Testament character in the light of New Testament revelation. Context. There's a lesson here. Never pass general judgments on any man without adequate knowledge of all of his elements. Do not pass general judgments on any man. If you do not have adequate knowledge of all of his elements. <laughs> I may have recounted it to you before. There's a man who's passed away now. He lived not far from here down Lower Fayetteville Road. It was a large business owner, a very big businessman in Peachtree City. I knew him for years, did work for him. I'll never forget the little story he told me. A businessman, not a Christian at all. Never forget the little story he told me one time. He said, John, a man could be the greatest bridge builder in the history of art. Greatest engineer that ever lived, built the greatest bridges. They were the wonder of the world. And people came from all over the world just to see the bridges he built. That same man could go out and rob one little bank. And for all of his life, he'd be remembered as a bank robber. Not as a bridge builder. I'm afraid too often in this, we look in the scriptures and we make judgments like that. We don't see the whole character. I remind you again, this is but a brief record and it is a record of his, God's dealing with Israel at a very peculiar time in redemptive history. Number seven and quickly now. Another needful observation, in my opinion, 
is that God's calling for Samson was for a very specific, special design, that and nothing more. God's calling for Samson was for a very specific, very special design, as we shall see, and nothing more. Again, I think Bush's comments are very helpful. Bush, speaking about his marriage that we will soon engage the study in chapter 14 of Samson's marriage. Bush commenting on that marriage to a Philistine may well be said to characterize the whole of his life's enterprises. Bush said, Note the special design of God in raising up Samson as a deliverer. His leading purpose in this seems to have been to baffle the power of the whole Philistine nation by the prowess of a single individual. <laughs> hallelujah. Could I just pause in his comment right there and say, Hallelujah. Oh, how our God pleases himself to do such things. To take one man or one event or one thing and confound a nation with it. Hallelujah. Remember Jericho. What in the world are these silly little people doing, these little Hebrews, going around this city, blowing that horn? What in the world are they doing? Until that last day, seven times, blew the horn and God crumbled the walls into the ground. Our God pleases himself to do such things, to take the small things of this world and confound the wise and tear down nations with nothing. And that seemed to be the purpose of God for Samson. One man, one individual. The purpose of God, Bush says, seemed to be to baffle the power of the whole nation, nation, Philistine nation, by the prowess of a single individual. He said the champion of Israel, therefore, was not appointed so much to be the leader of an army like the other judges, as to be an army himself. <laughs> Hallelujah. Such is the power of our God. He raised up this man not to be the leader of an army, but to be the army. Bush said this would array the contending parties precisely in such an attitude as to illustrate most signally the power of God to overthrow his enemies. Bush said to what extent Samson foresaw all the events that were to grow out of this transaction, that is this marriage with this Philistine woman, to what extent Samson 
foresaw the events that would grow out of this or how far he had a plain plan distinctly laid corresponding with the results that actually ensued, it is difficult to determine. The probability, we think, said Bush, is that he had rather a general strong impression wrought by the Spirit of God rather than a definite conception of the train of events that were to transpire. It was, however, a conviction as to the issue sufficiently powerful to warrant both him and his parents in going forward with the measure. They were in some way assured that they were engaged in a proceeding which God would overrule to the furtherance of his designs of mercy to his people and of judgment to his oppressors. I said it was a special design. It was a peculiar time. But next, number eight, just in the shadow of that observation, I'll give you this. Samson was not meant to be primarily a pattern in the holy record. Although, may I quickly say, we shall see that in many things he is a glorious pattern. But in the purpose of God, Samson was not to be primarily a pattern, but a glorious type. Oh, and what a glorious type he is as we shall see. Matthew Henry said it well. He said, Samson, under the extraordinary guidance of providence, seeks an occasion of quarreling with the Philistines by joining in an affinity with them by this marriage. A strange method, says Henry, a strange method, but the truth is, Samson was himself a riddle, a paradox of a man. He did that which seems really great and good by that which seemed weak and evil because he was designed not to be a pattern for us. Because we must be ruled by revelation and not example. He was not given to be a pattern to us, but a type. A type of him who, though he knew no sin, was made sin for us. I say again, what a glorious type he is. Albeit a terrible example of pattern. But now, only one very general observation remains, which I would set before you 
as thoughts of a technical nature, and yet, I suppose, holding some spiritual truths even in their technical nature. Number nine, most scholars agree that the chapter and verse divisions here are most unfortunate. You see, we read verse 24 and 25 of chapter 13 and then pick, we will pick up in verse 1 of chapter 14. And clearly, this is a bad division of the record. The record of the man himself begins in verse 24 of chapter 13. And when we put it back together, that is, we put chapter, verse 24 and 25 back together with chapter 14, and then read the entire record, we notice something of great interest. We notice that there are sudden movements of time in this record. For example, there are at least nine months between verse 23 and 24 of chapter 13. Verse 23 says, But his wife said unto him, If the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering, a meat offering in our hands, neither would we have he have showed us all these things, nor would, as at this time, have told us such things as these. And then, verse 24, the woman bare a son. We move from the announcement and defense of the angel's message to the birth of a child. Nine months. A leap. There was surely some years between verse 24 and verse 25. Verse 24 tells us she bare a son and named him Samson. And in verse 25, the Spirit of God had begun to move on him, doing great things. So there's a transition of some years between verse 24 and 25, chapter 13. And then there's surely several years between verse 25 of chapter 13 and verse 1 of chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman, the daughter of the Philistine. Some years have passed in between. And then we go down in chapter 14 and we find these words, verse 7 and 8, and he went down and talked with the woman and she pleased Samson well and after a time he returned to take her. So there was a great deal of time lapsed between verse 7 and verse 8 in chapter 14. I'm not seeking to be tiresome or tedious this morning, but I wanted you to see how that there's these great time lapses between these verses and put to you this question, 
What then are we to make of such large skips in the divine record? I, I sometimes listen in as Brother John and my wife discussing their research in some or other life and history. And I often hear in their words their struggle and disappointment with being unable to connect exact dots in time. And they sometimes grow a bit frustrated with these lapses where they can't fill in the blanks. And I hear that. And we come to this record and that is precisely what we see. And I ask you then, what can this possibly mean? And I give you this answer. Whatever else it means, it surely means this. That the records in Scripture are never designed to satisfy the chronological curiosities of mere historians, but are set forward in the history of God's redemption. God never designed to connect every dot in the life of this man Samson or any other. God designed to lay out a history of his redemption of his people. This is after all the biography, not of Samson, not of David, not of Solomon, not of Moses, not of a thousand others you could name, not of Paul or Peter. This is the biography of Jesus Christ. John chapter 5 and verse 39. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. This is the record of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 1 verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. This is the record of Jesus Christ. And that is why we will find great lapses of time unrecorded, skipped right over, has no value for the redemptive record. In conclusion this morning, I would remind our hearts by way of a conclusion that this record is not the full record of Israel's deliverance out of her darkness into the light. But this is the record only of the beginnings of that deliverance Verse 35, chapter 13. This is the record only of the beginnings of that deliverance. 
a deliverance that was yet to be carried out in generations to come. This was Israel's hope that God had made a beginning. God had made a beginning. And this is our hope that God would make a beginning. It's all wrapped up in the timing of God. John Willison, preaching in 1742, from the text, John chapter 3 and verse 30, was preaching on the gradual increase of Christ's kingdom over time. And he said these words, We are apt to be discouraged when we see not likely instruments to carry the Lord's work and to bring out the glorious things he has promised. And we tend to cry, By whom shall Judah arise, Jacob arise? Not minding that God can raise up children from stones, and instruments to serve him where they were not expected. Though we be oft at our wit's end, we should never be at our face's end. God can never be at a loss to carry on his work. Hallelujah. God can never be at a loss to carry on his work while he hath enough of clay and spirit to form instruments for his purpose. When the arm of the Lord doth once awake for his church, no impediment can stop him. He makes out that pleasant word in Psalms. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published. The pouring out of God's spirit from on high doth answer all objections, overcome all difficulties, provide supplies and afford remedies to the most desperate cases. Hallelujah. God can do it. God can do it. And he does it when he pleases. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. He said how desperate, taking a quick brief look at history from where he sits, Willison said, oh, how desperate-like was Luther's attempt in 1517 when he, a poor monk, set himself against the torrent of idolatry and corruption that prevailed under Antichrist at that time. It seemed as ridiculous as if a man had set his shoulder to a great mountain on purpose to remove it. And so it was in the reckoning of the wisest of that age and hence, when Luther opened his design 
to a great doctor who disapproved of the Romish corruptions as well. He bade Luther retire to his cell and pray. Oh, yet how wonderful did the purity of doctrine and worship break forth and prevail to the amazement among many nations so as to shake the foundations of Antichrist's throne and give him a deadly wound. There have been several attempts of reformation made by others long before Luther, Wycliffe, Huss, Jerome of Prague, but all were ineffectual because God's time of reformation was not come. But we see once that name, once that time cometh, no man is able to hinder it more than stop the sun from breaking out under the clouds. It becomes then all of the Lord's servants and people to keep in the way of duty and wait patiently till his set time come to favor Zion. God can do it. Hallelujah. God can do it. Samson had only begun a work that God would do in his time. We can only begin to do a work that God will do in his time. As long, said Willison, as long as he's got clay and spirit, he can raise up instruments. This was Israel's hope. This is ours. And now with all of that valuable contextualization settled in our minds we will proceed Lord willing on next week to look at this man Samson would you stand with me please sing together hymn number 137 was God who fixed the rolling spears, stretched the boundless sky, who formed the plan of endless years, bade the ages rise. Stand with me, 137. Was God who fixed the rolling spears and stretched the boundless skies before the plan of endless years and made the ages rise from Everlasting is his might, immense and unconfined. He pierces through the realms of light 
and rides upon the wind. He darts along the burning sky, loud thunders round him roar. Through worlds above, his terrors fly, while worlds below adore. He speaks great nature's will, stand still, and leave their wanted round. The mountains melt, each trembling hill forsakes its ancient mound. He whirls and every living thing fulfill his high command.